And good morning. Good morning. I'd like to welcome everybody out again uh, this morning. If you're logging into Facebook, we'd like to welcome you. And, uh, maybe YouTube later on. We're glad you're able to join us. And uh, always a privilege for me to share in God's Word with you uh, each time. All righty. We draw closer to election. We, we see, if you, I didn't watch the Kentucky Derby or, or anything, and, but I, as I understand it, protesting was going on out, outside the, the fenced area. Uh, didn't hear of any reports of any re serious violence other than a scuffle or two. And, and that's a good thing uh, that we know for sure. Uh, Sometimes God's ways confuse us as humans because his ways are not our ways. There are times that his ways are painful to us and we may think that he's not doing what's best for us. But deep down inside, we know that uh, he's always had the best in mind for his children. And we sometimes need a little help reminding that God uses bad events uh, to accomplish his will, his purpose, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of nations as well, and the church. Hurricane Laura, for example, a destructive storm just a couple of weeks ago, uh, killed several people and destroyed uh, or damaged property into the millions. We've not heard a lot about it, have we? It's uh, other stuff's going on that's apparently more newsworthy than that. Unlike previous disasters, which oftentimes pulls our nation together, doesn't it? We, we send money and we hear about the uh, national call for prayer and, and people go and help. And I'm sure those same people are helping. Uh, some of uh, those people are helping. Uh, but it's uh, not so much like this right now. But we, just because we haven't heard about it on the news doesn't mean that through this terrible disaster or this hurricane, uh, that churches are not still out there meeting the needs of people. And no doubt the gospel of Christ is being lived. And I'm not going to say so much preached. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. Because I think we are the most effective as a church when we're living the gospel. When people see Jesus in our lives. When people see us having the compassion that Christ has. So there's no doubt in my mind that the gospel... Uh, is coming uh, through those actions. And I'll describe one. And you may or may not have heard about this. Uh, I didn't until I was searching for something to use for this sermon. Uh, Lake Charles, uh, Louisiana, apparently has a couple of hospitals. Pretty good size. Kind of like us. You know, they've got a hospital on each end of the county, I guess you would call it. Uh, the one closest to the ocean, which is set on lower ground, had a NICU there. Uh, Nineteen babies were in that NICU when Hurricane Laura was coming ashore. And they were able to transfer those babies from one hospital to a hospital north of St. Charles or Lake Charles to where it was safer. And a group of nurses respiratory therapist and doctor, a doctor, stayed through the hurricane with those little 19 little NICU babies. I uh, watched the interview uh, and uh, the nurse said that the babies didn't know there was a hurricane going on. 
but we did. She said the, the windows and the doors were rattling. They were scared. You could see they were visibly scared and upset, but yet they put themselves in danger to help provide the care for those little babies that they, they couldn't take any further away because of their condition. They also, according to that story, they used Facebook Live to keep the parents updated on the babies. Parents weren't allowed to be there, so they would Facebook Live and let them know. And it's a, it's a shame. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many had heard about that? One. One out of 54 of us, I, I heard about it because I searched for it. Heard about what a wonderful story that was about those, those ladies and, and that man that uh, stayed with those NICU babies. But we hear lots of stories about the rioting and the fighting and the protesting, don't we? So it's easy sometimes for us to lose, to be a little disheartened because we think there's no good left in the world. There's nothing good that can come of this. And that's what I wanted to remind us of this morning, that sometimes bad can yield good. And that's the name of this morning's sermon. If you would, and we're going to look at a few examples throughout the scriptures. And, and these examples are not going to be new because I've used them over the past years for reminders for us. Uh, the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 36 uh, is a good example to see that uh, we see God act, but sometimes we miss his purpose in things. Sometimes we see God act, but we miss what his purpose is in, Ge in Genesis 36. And it, the story of Joseph actually carries all the way over to Genesis chapter 50. So we're not going to read that today, I'm sure to your relief. But we're going to talk about Joseph and how that all throughout his life that his, you know, his brothers sold him. We know the story. His brothers sold him into slavery. He ended up in, in Potiphar's house, and his wife caused him trouble because she wanted to have an illicit affair with him. And it ended up being thrown into the prison of Pharaoh. And just by chance, the, uh, because of that uh, encounter with the baker and the cupbearer in the prison, he ends up in the court of Pharaoh. And we know that all of Joseph's life uh, though it was turmoil, though it's not a life that he would have chosen to have lived. Now we have to remember that Joseph would have been the leader of that clan of Jacob. That was, his, that was what he had planned on. That he was going to take over and be over all of his brothers and be in charge of, in his mind, in his worldly mind. So he had a good life expectancy ahead of him what he was going to be able to do and accomplish. But God had a different plan for Joseph. And he took him down a rocky road that none of us would want, to, would want to follow on either. That if we had those same kind of adverse, adversity to face that Joseph did, we would, we would probably lose faith or lose heart at some point in time. Joseph never did, and it's a good example to us for that. And then in, in Genesis 50, as that story ends... And he's forgiving and comforting his brothers. And this is after the burial of their father. He says in Genesis 50, 20, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as this day to save much people alive. So everything in Joseph's life, though he didn't realize it, when he was a young man being thrown down in a pit by his brothers and sold off to slavery, which set off a, a chain of events that none of us would want to go through. Falsely accused, imprisoned, 
those types of things in his life. None of us would want that to happen to us. But on the backside of that, God had a plan, and he had to go through that in order to be able to save the children of Israel, to save that nation, prepare that nation through bondage to be released and to serve. And we ask ourselves those same questions. Why is all of this going on right now? Why is it that we're seeing so much unrest and so much turmoil and rioting and protesting and the political, and we discuss this every year, the politics get worse and worse and worse each year. Each election cycle it gets worse. Well, I fully believe that God has a purpose for what's going, what we're going through as a nation, as individuals. We're being prepared for something better on down the line because that's what we see in, in every example in the scriptures. Because bad things have happened to good people from the beginning in the Bible. And we have to remember just because we're living in 2020, uh, just because we are the most technologically advanced peoples that's ever walked this earth, doesn't mean that bad things will cease to happen to us. Not by the farthest stretch of the imagination. Things may be a little tough in your life right now. It's tough all over. People are still trying to, and we're six months into this, we're still trying to adjust to having to do things a different way. School started last Thursday. We're still trying to adjust, even though we did it back in March, kind of, sort of. And what we're doing now is different. There's a lot of stress on people. A lot of stress, a lot of people uh, are disheartened. They're confused, they don't know what to do. I'm sure Joseph felt that way when he was in the pit. I'm sure Joseph felt that way when he was being led off to be a slave. I'm sure Joseph felt that way when he was in prison. I don't understand what's going on. But all throughout Joseph's life, and that's what I want to encourage us to do as well, we should keep our faith and trust in God because he will care for us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And we can take that promise to heart. So what we have to understand is we, we can see God act, but sometimes we miss his purpose. But let us never forget that he has a purpose. And there's a difference between what God allows and what God intends. So let's have faith and patience to see those things through. And when we forget God's purpose, there's a danger of falling into disobedience. Over into Judges chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We see here the death of Joshua and how quickly they turn from the Lord. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timonoth Herez in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gash. And also all the generations that were gathered unto their fathers, and there rose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. When we forget our purpose, we fall into disobedience. And what we see here is the death of Joshua. And then a falling away of the children of Israel. It's just a couple of verses that we read and describe about, but if you go back and you look at the deliverance of the children of Israel and all the mighty works that God had done, you would think surely, 
Surely they would not forget it within just a couple of generations, but now look at the United States, not comparing, not saying that we're Israel. But how much and how quickly has the, the, the degeneration of our society and the importance of God happened in the past hundred years, 50 years, a couple of generations, and we find ourselves forgetting what blessings the Lord has given to this great nation. And we ourselves, I believe, see because of the, re the rebellion, the wickedness, I believe we see those effects. The influence of leadership with no desire to serve God. No relationship with Jesus Christ. And many people have fallen into this same path as what we see the children of Israel have fallen into. And if you continue to read, uh, Israel has a, a really tough time after this. Which brings about judgment. And that's why it's important for us. That's what makes our job so critically important as Christians. If you go to London, and I can't remember the name of the church, across I-75 there on the left, where your mother went. Larry Roark. Church of God, Jesus' name. If you notice, their, their billboard, out, uh, their, their sign outside says, Be the good in the world. Be the good in the world. Is that not what we're called to do by Jesus Christ himself? Is that not exactly what we see that needs to happen more than anything this day? It's for Christians to be the good in the world. It's easy for us to jump on the bandwagon, whatever bandwagon you jump on, okay? It's easy for us to jump on the bandwagon and be just like the rest of the world. It's hard and it's intentional for us to stay off the bandwagon and to be the good in the world. And I'm not saying that you can't be, do both, but what I'm saying is we have to as Christians, because there's a danger of these younger generations, because we know Christianity, religion is being assaulted and has been for years and years and years. So wouldn't it make more sense that we as Christians be the good in the world? so that people don't forget that there is something different. There is an alternate. There is a different choice in our lives. We know that disobedience will bring about judgment from God. And you can see that all throughout the Old Testament and, and with Israel. But something else that we need to understand too, and, and more so I believe it's getting clearer and clearer that God uses bad people or bad things to bring about righteousness. Jesus, for example. We think about Herod, both of them. Herod and Herod Antipas and Pilate. How all of those men were used to fulfill the prophecies that God said had to happen before the Messiah that, that would indicate this is the true Messiah. And we see that, that they do that. Those prophecies are what brought Jesus to Calvary. Those prophecies is what pointed to the end of our salvation. A willing sacrifice from holy, sinless perfection so that sinful people, wicked people, might be saved. 
as early as his birth, we remember, killed all the kids two years and under because he felt threatened. 33 some odd years later, his son gets to carry that out. Pilate bringing Jesus to trial. His wife recognized something was not right here. Have nothing to do with this man. His desire to be pleasing to those he worked for demanded that he crucify him. Maybe that's what we need here in the United States. Maybe, and that's an odd statement. We have lived in relative comfort for so long. We have let people do whatever makes you happy and have that attitude for so long that we have become complacent in righteousness. And what are we seeing today? What do we see today? Turmoil in some places, but not every place, is it? But if you look, the most liberal cities in our nation are the ones that's under the most turmoil. Wonder why that is. I'm just asking that question. Why is that? Do you think that those people that live there desire to have that kind of activities going on? Oh, I hope. Someday that we'll live there and they'll be rioting, they'll burn our cities down, they'll destroy businesses. That would just make my life so complete. You think anybody wants that? No. But that's the result when you remove a moral, righteous God from your society. Go back and look at the history of man in the scriptures. What happens when man's left to his own devices? You have the same type of behavior. So maybe we need to be snapped back into reality. Maybe we need to get a little dose of the fact that we can't be complacent in areas that the Bible says that we cannot tolerate. And that's what I want to say. Maybe we ourselves have, have been slapped around a little bit in our, in our own personal lives, realizing what's going on. Maybe there's turmoil in our lives that has made us take a, a second look at how we live our lives and then that brings us and desires us, makes us desire to change. So what I'm saying throughout all of this is yes, there's some bad stuff going on, but there's some excellent opportunity for good to happen. We just have to seize on the good. We have to seize on the, the opportunity that we have. Because Regardless of the fact God is in control. God, and that, that brings me to my next point, that God uses poor leaders to inspire believers. He uses poor leaders to inspire believers. Acts chapter 4, verse 20. And this will be a familiar scripture to you. Peter and John being threatened because they were doing something simple as preaching the gospel. They were being threatened and they were on trial or a hearing, I guess you would say. And verse 20 is their response to that. It says, for we cannot speak but speak the things which we have seen and heard. After receiving the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the church began to grow. 
and grow quickly. And again, we see God using wicked people to advance his purpose. Here, the Sadducees and Pharisees that had him on trial, the priests that had him on trial, they were mad because Christians were drawing people away from Judaism. They were healing and preaching and turning people toward Christ. And their reply was to stop. You can't do it. You're going to be in big trouble. And they said, we can't help ourselves. We have to do this. And many Christians are killed by angry religious leaders, but the church still grew. And the more wicked they attacked the church, the faster it grew and the stronger it became. And this is a fact throughout history. A persecuted church is a strong and growing church. And that's one thing that we ourselves as Christians in this nation, and we're not accustomed to. We're not accustomed to persecution. That's one thing that makes us uncomfortable. And I just say that uncomfortable kind of tongue-in-cheek because as persecution nears and nears, I wonder how many people are going to bail. Well, it's not worth this. It's not worth that at all to me. And that's what we have to realize. Evil will always seek out to stomp out good. Okay? It will always seek to stomp out good. And that's what we see with that right there. Now I want to explain something to you that you may not have a clue about. And you may not realize that during this coronavirus, we have had better church attendance. Now I'm not talking about in here, which I'm really pleased with how many people we have here. Uh, we're allowed to have, I think if we're still doing the... the uh, one-third, we're allowed to have 60, and we've, not, we've got close a couple of days. But let me, let me give you a couple of numbers that you may or may not be aware of. For our regular Sunday service, between the folks that are here and the folks that are with us on Facebook, and I didn't even go back and check the numbers with YouTube, do you realize that we average about 200 people a week through our services now? Between the views on Facebook and the 50 or so that we have. We have about 150 views on Facebook. How long has it been since we've had numbers like 200 here? What about Wednesday night? Our good old faithful Wednesday night group, we average somewhere between eight and 15 people that come regularly. You know that since Facebook's come around, we now average about 75 on Wednesday night service. So all the bad that we're going through right now, people are, there is an interest in the Bible. There's an interest in the truth of God's word. And we're, used, we're, we're blessed with being able to use this media uh, type through this phone system and through the Facebook and, and, and use that to, to get the gospel and the word out to people like we have never done before. So there is good that's come from this bad, this terrible time that we find ourselves in. This time when it has us doing things completely different than we've ever done them in our lives. This time that has us disrupted in many ways, but in many ways, I've talked to people that their lives has changed for the better. Because it brought them more into focus. They were distracted. We were busy running all over the place had ourselves so busy we didn't know if we were coming in or going. Some of you may appreciate that statement yourselves. 
if this virus, if this lockdown deal here, and if it wasn't for the lockdown, and that's my point, if it were not for the lockdown, do you think we would have 200 people in church today? Our numbers, our history doesn't show that, that we'd be somewhere around 70. And next week, if we were lucky, we could hope for 100 with homecoming. But we have 200 now. So there is good to this, and we should be getting our focus back on the important stuff. And that's what we look at here. That even bad can yield good. And then we look at this, lastly. God uses awful events for his future plans. Acts chapter 7. Verses 54 through 60. And if you want to know what got Stephen, this is about Stephen. And if you want to know what got Stephen killed, go to chapter, or verse 1 of chapter 7 today when you go on and read. That's all chapter 7 is, is Stephen. Okay, we know about Stephen. We talk about Stephen being martyred. If you want to know why, what he preached, what he said that cost him his life. But here's the end of that. When they heard these things, that was what he said in the previous 53 verses, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. How do you think it, that Saul felt watching this man being pummeled with rocks till he died? How many nights do you think Saul woke up hearing him say, Lord, Lay not this sin at their feet, for they know not what they do. I think Paul, the Apostle Paul, was haunted by that his whole life. I think that he used that to influence himself and his ministry to the point to where he would have to be able to go. And we should look at that in that way too. That we have a job as Christians to do. Stephen here, early leader, he preached that sermon. He infuriated the religious leaders and it led to his death. And not anything that happened shortly, immediately. Did you, read, did you catch that? When he said that, uh, Behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped up their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city. In other words, they took him by the arm and led him out and immediately stoned him to death. but it produced the greatest evangelist for the New Testament in Paul. Terrible event. 
But think about what Paul did by spreading the gospel throughout the Mediterranean and, and uh, Northwest Asia. As evil as even religious, evil religious leaders can still be there to nurture young and growing church. Here's another little thing you may or may not be aware of. Samaritan's Purse. We had that announcement earlier. We look forward each and every November to packing those shoe boxes. That's Lisa's ministry, and we help her do it. And she does a great job, and we as a church do a great job. But are you aware, Lisa probably is, but just by show of hands, how many people are aware that there's a petition, active petition right now to have Franklin Graham removed as president and CEO of Samaritan's Purse? Nobody aware of that. You know why? Because he had a prayer at the Republican National Convention, and he asked for blessings upon our nation and President Trump. Now, what kind of group do you think would, would have this heinous, heinous act of starting a petition against Franklin Graham? An online group called Faithful Christians? Yeah. And I did a little research on them. I didn't spend a whole lot of time last night. I didn't have to spend a whole lot of time to find out because they have a list. They're a list of proud accomplishments of what this group has been able to do through political pressure. One thing they've been able to do is apparently Google had a, a member of their uh, staff that was on the, the board of World Vision. We remember World Vision? Went to any Casting Crowns concerts in the past few years? That that goes on in the middle of the, in the, middle of the week or the middle of the show, you go and you sponsor a child through World Vision. Uh, they had them removed, had him removed from the board because they're anti-gay. Another group, uh, actually it was about five or six successes they called it, and they all had one thing in common. If you were anti-gay, they were coming after you these faithful Christians. Well, I think God's anti-gay. He's anti-homosexual. But here's what we have to realize and understand. The person that commits the sin is not what God dislikes. It's the sin. That's the simple part. Just like if I sin doing something else. It's my sin that convicts me, not the fact that I am a sinner, because we are all sinners, aren't we? Doesn't the scriptures tell us that all has fell short of the glory of God? We have all sinned. So even terrible things can happen that can motivate. I, I was shocked that they would try to remove Franklin Graham from, from that group president and CEO. Next thing is the Billy Graham Association, I guess. Let's be in prayer that that don't happen, that that's not successful, because they called for, if, he would not if they would not remove him, they called for individual board members to resign in protest to his stance that he takes. These are some strange times that we live in, folks. And as I was going over this this morning, as I do, There was something that hit me. I don't have it on the, on the 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Turn with me in your Bibles. 
And if you're at home, do that as well, please. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul writes here and says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And I want us to understand, and, and I know I think probably everyone here does, and probably everyone out there does, but maybe if we hear it or say it enough, the only way that we will change people's hearts is through Jesus Christ. We cannot legislate racism. We cannot reg legislate hate. Man has no way to change a person's heart. Only God can do that. And if there is racism, it's because God is not in that person's heart. Jesus Christ is not that person's savior. If there is hate in someone's heart, it's because they are devoid of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures tell me in, in chapter 5 here of 2 Corinthians. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God is no respecter of persons. Jesus Christ died for any and all who would accept him as their savior. Regardless of your skin color, regardless of your, if you're male or female. And that's what we have to understand. We will never legislate what they're calling social justice. It will never happen. I don't care who you elect in office. All right? That's not going to be something that you can legislate. You can make it a crime, but that doesn't change my heart. And that's what we need to be praying for, is that people's hearts will change to God. Or we're just going to continue in this cycle. And I don't care who wins the election. I'm not up here politicking for one side or the other. Until people's hearts are changed by God himself, through Jesus Christ, there's going to be no change. Just not going to happen. We, can't, we don't have that power. We like to think we have that power. We like to think that if we go up and we show a force of, of, of a show of force, and I'm going to take my group, and I'm not saying either group. I'm going to take my group. We're going to pack our AR-15s and we're going to have all kinds of all kinds of ammo belts on, and we we're already locked and loaded and ready to roll. That don't change nothing. That just means you've got guns and you can intimidate somebody. You don't change my heart. I don't care which side you're on. That just means you got a gun. What changes someone's heart is when we see someone acting out kind of like those nurses that put their own life in danger and they didn't say what color them babies was in that NICU. I guarantee you those nurses didn't say, okay, you bring the white ones with us and we'll leave the little black babies here to fend for themselves. I'll bet you a million dollars that didn't happen because they didn't care. They was going to take care of them babies. And until we have hearts that are changed, that it don't matter what color your skin is, because God loves you, I'm going to love you, things aren't going to change, folks. And that's where we as Christians have to take the lead. And once we get the lead taken, once we're the point of the spear, so to speak, and people understand this, that what I'm doing is wrong, that's a tough thing to admit, isn't it? The way I have felt for years is wrong. 
the way that I've been approaching doing things is wrong. Once we get over ourselves, and once we realize that just like the scriptures tell us that we're falling short of the glory of God because we're a sinner, yes, it's hard for us to admit that we're not perfect. But once we can get by that and we can let God change our heart, the, all the old is, is gone, the new is put on. That's what I talk about when we come up out of the baptismal. Raise that new creature. And until we're regenerated in the likeness of Christ, there's going to be no change. Not individually, not in a church, not in a county, state, or nation, or world. And that's what Satan is working against. He don't want change. He wants people in Portland blowing up and burning businesses, getting shot and taking baseball bats and hitting people, walking out shooting a guy because of the hat that he's got on his head. That's what Satan wants. Okay? Satan wants people protesting uh, in Louisville, Kentucky because of what they call social injustice because someone was killed in a police action. And there may be guilt there, and there may not. But what if there is no guilt in family? Are they going to burn the city of Louisville to the ground like they're trying to do to Portland? What will that change? That will change nothing. The heart has to be changed first. So what's the point of this message this morning? Bad stuff has been happening to good people since God created people. But God's got a plan and a purpose for everything that happens. And not that he, he causes it to happen, but many times he allows things to happen that fulfill that intent. Joseph never would have picked the life that he led, but I guarantee you that he would never change the outcome once he found out what God's purpose was. Saved his whole family and the whole peoples. Jesus Christ wouldn't have picked the kind of death that he had to, you know, get him striked and beat. From all accounts of history, I mean, he was bludgeoned, looked like hamburger from that cat of nine tails. If you don't know what that is, research it. He wouldn't have chose that, but I guarantee you that he, the outcome of all of his suffering and the obedience that led him to that, he wouldn't change that for anything because of the people that were changed, the lives that was changed. What about Paul? Saul at the time. Think about the worst traumatic event you've ever experienced in your life. It can't be anything like seeing somebody getting their head bashed open with rocks. Could you imagine? Standing there holding coats of people that was throwing rocks at another human being. Do you think that he would have changed the outcome of the gospel being spread even though it cost Stephen his life? The most horrific thing I think that you could probably witness to see something like that go on. But think about how it stuck with Paul, the apostle, throughout his life and remembered the, the faithfulness that Stephen had even to the point to say, don't, don't charge them with this sin, Father. They don't know what they're doing. We have to remember that we have a part in this plan as Christians, or that's what it's supposed to be. And that part is not cowering in a corner with fear, but it's also not disobedience from common sense things. But what it is, is that we be the good in the world. 
Because nobody else is stepping up to be the good in the world, are they? And if not the Christians, then who? And if not us, who? And if not now, when? Our nation needs us more now than ever. But don't expect them to come running to us with open arms. But if it means that people's lives are changed and people are saved, nothing that we can go through would, should make us want to change the outcome. Ways of God, they're not perfect. Back up. The ways of God are perfect. We are the ones that are not perfect, and we cannot understand what he's doing. But he loves us enough that he'll use these things to fulfill his plan. And it's our job to, to share the message of Jesus Christ. And part of that, the very most important part, is having that relationship established with Christ by hearing and believing the gospel, confessing Christ as your Savior, repenting of your sins, being buried with him in baptism, receiving the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, raise that new creation. Your heart is changed. Is your heart perfect? No, but it should be changed and change as you mature. And serve faithfully. Be the good in the world until we're either called back in death or Jesus Christ, the trumpet sounds. You ever thought about that? How many people pray for Jesus to return today? Think, I'm not, don't raise your hand. Nobody did, but no, don't raise your hand, okay? How many of us pray for Christ to return? Today. Are we ready for that to happen? Because there are people that pray for Christ to return each and every day. There are people that look for Christ to return each and every day. And if you are not in the right place with your relationship with God, that's going to be a sad day. It ain't going to be no glad day that we sing about, a wonderful day. It will be a sad day. Maybe we've got Christians in this room or watching or will hear the message eventually that that'd be a sad day. You need to get yourself back in the right place with the Lord. And I've a I've long time kind of <clears throat> chosen my words to where I weave around things and, and leave it for you to listen to and to decide. Those days are over. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, as the scriptures describe to us, and Jesus returns today or tomorrow, or you are taken from this life in either an accident or natural causes, and you can't, your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Bible tells me you're going to hell. Period. If you're a Christian and you have backslid on what God has put in the scriptures for us to do and follow, if you've never really committed your heart to what the book says for us to do, if your heart is not changed, if you're just a Christian by name only, I don't want to be in your place when you stand before Jesus Christ as the judge. This is not a game. I think for too long we've kind of thought it was a game. Let's go play church. It's Sunday. 
This is not a game, folks. This is real. This is an eternal destiny that's being discussed here, that's being written about, that we study each Sunday, each Wednesday, each time you open your Bible. This is an eternal thing. It's not just something to make us feel good while we're here. And if you wait one second beyond the chance that you have to accept Christ or repent of sins that you should have never done as a Christian in the first place, you risk judgment. That's what the Bible says. There's one place that we can get that forgiveness. Our script or a hymn of invitations this morning. Room at the cross. And that's, that's it. It's not me. I have nothing to do with your salvation other than to bring the word. Room at the cross for you. And that's where it all begins because that's where it was secured. We're going to sing the first and the second verse of this hymn. And if you have a decision to make, I encourage you to make that decision. Because Jesus could return tomorrow. He can return tomorrow. Are you ready for that return? If not, I encourage you to make a change. First and second hymn, 162, verse 169, Room at the Cross. Thank you.